That'll keep you singing as you go. Luke 11 and verse number 14 is where we're going to begin our study. And we're going to end up today at verse number 23. You might remember the last time we were in the Gospel of Luke, we did a three-part series on prayer. Verses 1 to 13 allowed us to do that. And verses 14 all the way down to 26, there is the spiritual battle being discussed, casting out of devils and and we get a peek behind the physical curtain into the spiritual world. And we're, we're, we're going to break this down into two weeks. We're gonna, only going to cover down to verse 23 today. So actually what I'd like to do with you, let's read verse 23. And then we'll pray together. And then we're going to talk on this subject today. Whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? And you're going to see where I get this thought from verse 23. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. With that thought, let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the, for the great singing. Thank you, Lord, um, that you do keep us singing as the days go by. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to push out the distractions of the week. And Lord, all the hardships and pain and sorrow and distractions, God, we just want to focus now on what you have to say to us. Please speak to us now. Use me as a vessel and please fill me with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so beginning in verse number 14, we read here, he says, He was casting out a devil and it was dumb. That is to say, not stupid, dumb as in he could not speak. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and the people wondered. This is what we read over and over again throughout the New Testament. Jesus steps in and leaves the people in utter amazement. And if you've ever had the Lord step into your life and do something, that's exactly the outcome you'll usually see is you stand back and you're just in wonder as to how Jesus can take a situation that seems hopeless and turn it completely around. The people wondered. And amen, that's still true today. We, we wonder how God, why such a holy God would work amongst us and, and deal with us and desire to have a relationship with us. We wonder. But not everybody appreciates what the Lord is doing in verse 15. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. Jesus has always had his enemies. Still to this day, that, that group that is against him, they are still with us today. These that we read about in verse 15, some of them, these will be the Pharisees and scribes, we're told in the other Gospels exactly who is saying this. The accusation that is made against Jesus is that he is casting out devils through Beelzebub. That, that name means the Lord of the Flies. It was a a particular name that was given to Satan, just another name for Satan, the chief of the devils. The Pharisees and scribes, these enemies of Christ, they are so filled with hatred and blinded by envy. You understand the people are wondering in amazement at what Jesus can do. Simply by his word, he can cast out devils. Simply by commanding the unclean spirit to come out. It can come out. The people were in amazement, but the chief priests and the Pharisees, they wanted to be the center of attention. So, fueled by hatred and envy, they come up with the worst possible slander 
that they could think of. The worst insult they could give is to say, Jesus, not only in this instant, yes, he's casting out a devil, but understand they are making a statement about his entire ministry. You are doing what you're doing through the power of the devil. They thought of the worst and nastiest thing they could say about him. In Mark's gospel in chapter 3, what they said is, he has an unclean spirit. So yes, they are saying that he's doing this, this casting out of the devil through the power of the devil, but now his entire ministry, they are saying, can be attributed to Satan. This is why in Matthew's gospel, when you read this story, Jesus says, listen guys, either the tree is good and the fruit is good, or the tree is corrupt and the fruit is corrupt. But when you look at the fruit, if you look at Jesus' life, it's good fruit. So he says, guys, you can't say that the tree is corrupt and the fruit is good. That makes no sense. But they are making an accusation about his entire life and ministry. Verse 16, others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. Now, we're actually going to talk more about this crowd when we get to verse number 29. But understand, some people had already come to the conclusion, you must be full of the devil. Why did they say this? Was there a good reason? No, they just didn't want Jesus to have all the attention he was getting. They wanted that attention, so they tried to smear and slander him. But then there were others. Notice, they say, show us another sign. But they did it not because they wanted to be convinced. They weren't looking for truth. They were tempting him. Do another miracle. Well, do another miracle. You see, every time he did a miracle, they could only stand back and say, well, that was pretty impressive. Okay, do another one. What are they looking for? They're hoping he fails with the next one. They're not looking for a reason to believe. They're looking for a reason to not believe. And you know, when you come to Jesus, when you come to church and listen to the words of Jesus, are you looking for a reason to believe or are you looking for a reason to reject? Because it does make a difference in how you understand what he's saying and what he's doing. Now, what we have up until this point, you understand they're trying to smear this holy and sanctified name. They're trying to slander his spotless testimony. And by doing so, this angry crowd, this confused crowd, has given Jesus an opportunity to do two things. Number one, he now has a chance to point out how utterly ridiculous their claims are. And he is now able to publicly expose how illogical and silly these excuses are for rejecting him. Furthermore, he gets a chance to say, since your arguments are so illogical, it therefore proves that what I'm doing is not on the behalf of Satan, but is in fact on the behalf of God. And what you're witnessing is not something that is building the kingdom of Satan, but the kingdom of God is truly being offered to you. Can I just tell you today that even now in our time, people still make up silly, illogical, irrational excuses for saying no to Jesus. And the kingdom of God is still being offered in truth, in verity. You can have that today. So let's look. We're going to move quickly through the next few verses because we're going to spend more of our time at the end of the passage. But in verses 17 and 18, Jesus begins to answer their ridiculous claim. But he, in verse 17, but he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, every kingdom 
divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. Now, I just want you to see there, Jesus is not addressing only the miracle of casting out devils. The issue here is whose kingdom is being built. Do you see that? Whose kingdom is being affected because the accusation against him was you are building the devil's kingdom using this miracle. And now he's saying, guys, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense because if you look at my life and my ministry, my preaching, the miracles, what I'm doing is building the kingdom of God. So his first argument against them is, guys, what? I'm so sorry, that keeps bumping there. His first argument is to say, why would Satan be tearing down his own kingdom? That just makes no sense. Why would Satan cast out Satan? That would weaken his kingdom, not strengthen it. So your accusation makes no sense. In verse 18, if Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? That's the issue, is the kingdom. Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. Satan simply wouldn't do this. It's just illogical. He wouldn't fight against himself. That's nonsense. Satan would not do what Christ is doing. But now, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Because this is, it needs to be mentioned. Can the devil do miracles? Yeah, in the Bible, we read that he can. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, it talks about unclean spirits going out into all the world, working miracles. I'm sure some of you will remember this passage in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, many will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord. Right? Lord, Lord. And, he, and he's going to reject those people. Why? They are going to say, but we prophesied in your name. We did many wonderful works in your name. Listen to this one. We cast out devils in your name. Sure they did. You know what Jesus will say to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. You're a worker of iniquity. What's the issue? The issue is not the miracle itself. The issue is whose kingdom are you building? Can the, Satan, uh, can, can the devil, can Satan do a miracle? Sure. But the, the way you judge the miracle to see whether it came from God or whether it came from the devil is listen to the message that is connected with the miracle. Whose kingdom is being built using that miracle? God uses miracles to confirm a message. So does the devil. God will use a miracle, that's what he did in the Bible, to confirm new truth as it was being given. If the devil wants to introduce a lie, oftentimes he will also introduce a miracle that will support and somehow prove that truth. But the Bible calls those lying wonders. Why? Because the wonderful work that is done, the miracle, the wunderwerk, it is meant to support a lie. Would the devil do that? Would he produce a miracle just to deceive? Sure, but that builds his kingdom. So you can stand back and you don't need to be afraid of this and say, oh dear, I'm going to get confused. I won't know who's working. No, we have a Bible. So we can stand back, look at what happened, and say, let me hear what this prophet has to say. And if it lines up with the Bible and it builds the kingdom of God, we can have confidence that there's truth. But if it's not building the kingdom of God, and if it's building the kingdom of Satan, now we know what to do with that miracle. We know which category to put it in. Jesus is making it clear. Satan would not do what Jesus was doing. Jesus went around doing miracles in order to confirm 
that he is truly offering people the kingdom of God. So let's properly understand what he's offering. Repent, believe the gospel, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is two things. Number one, it is a political future kingdom that will be on this earth. That is the kingdom of God. The Bible uses that terminology. That's the kingdom of God. But then there's also the personal inward kingdom. And this is the one that Jesus is focusing on in this passage today. And this is the one I want to focus on in my sermon today. The kingdom of God is also a spiritual inward kingdom where God rules, listen to this word, rules in your heart. He doesn't just live there, he rules there. God wants to reign in your heart. He wants you to abdicate the throne of your heart and allow him, you yield, you stand aside and let the Lord Jesus Christ sit upon the throne of your heart. God takes control. That's what Jesus was trying to establish. So he says, listen, Satan wouldn't do that. When Jesus would cast out a devil, you know what he would do? He would then tell that person, the kingdom of God has come upon you. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. God wants to free, make you free from that old life. Here's the truth. And it made them free. G Satan wouldn't do that. That's his first point. That's his first answer. And then verse 19, here's his second answer. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. He says, guys, if, if you won't accept my obvious answer here, just go ask your followers, the sons of the Pharisees. These are what you and I would consider Bible school students. You read in the Old Testament about the sons of the prophets. And those were, those were young men being trained by the older prophets. These sons of the Pharisees, they were, some of them, not all, but some of them were exorcists. That is, they went about casting out devils. And actually, that was quite common in this day. There were many Jews that went about doing this. Sometimes they would do it in the name of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes they would do it in one of the names of the famous uh, prophets. But some of them would do it in the name of Jehovah. That is the name of the Father. Is it not? That's the name of the Father. Well, the Bible tells us, Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name and you receive me not. So Jesus would go about, he had authority to cast out devils. Who gave him that authority? His father. And then these followers of the Pharisees, they would also call upon the name of Jehovah to cast out a devil. So he says, now you're going to accuse me of, of doing it by Beelzebub, but your followers are using the same formula. So if you're going to throw me under the bus, throw them with it. So if you got questions, go ask them and they'll tell you your, your conclusion makes no sense. It just won't work. Verse number 20, Jesus then arrives at the right conclusion, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. Jesus said, now, if you're wrong, and clearly, he has given two solid arguments to prove them wrong. He said, if you're wrong, that means you flip the coin over and the other side is true. If you're wrong and I'm not building the kingdom of Satan, that means I'm here to build and establish the kingdom of God. If this isn't the finger of an unclean spirit, this is the finger of the Holy Spirit. The finger of God. Do you remember this, guys, from the book of Exodus? 
where God told Moses, stretch out your rods, smite the dust, and let the dust become lice in all the people and in all the beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. Remember that? Aaron was Moses' right-hand man. And, and Aaron stretched forth the rod, he smites the dust, and sure enough, it turns into lice. The dust itself turns into lice. And it infests the people and the beasts and all throughout the land of Egypt. And the Bible says the magicians of Egypt took their rods and tried to do similar things with their enchantments. And they could not do it. And you know what the magicians did? They had done some other miracles, but they could, they could do some but at a certain point, they just can't do what God can do. They, they just couldn't do it. And you know what they did? They stood back, and here's the enemy of the truth. Even the enemy had to stand back at a certain point and say, that is the finger of God. That is exactly what their claim was. That is the finger of God. Jesus is saying, guys, you're clearly wrong. So what you're actually doing is helping prove my point. Your reasons for rejecting me are just absolutely belachlik. This ridiculous. There's only one clear conclusion to come to. This is not Satan. This is God trying to get your attention. This is God trying to, to show you that you have been on the wrong side. And now he's trying to bring you to his side. You've been under the control of the enemy too long. Now it's time to let God rule in your heart. I love what he said in the middle of verse 20. Look at it with me, please. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, help me with the next two words. What, what are the next two words? No. No doubt. Jesus left no doubt. You know what's brilliant about this? He hasn't even died on the cross and been buried and risen again yet. I mean, if you needed further proof, that's the greatest piece of evidence the world's ever had is a man, a year before he dies, predicted his own death, and three days later brought himself out of the grave. <laughs> That's pretty strong evidence. But before we even get to that, Jesus said, there is no doubt the kingdom of God is right here. It has come upon you, and you have a chance to now yield to that. So I'll no longer stand behind my silly, ridiculous excuses but I would rather submit and yield to what the Holy Spirit is showing me. This is, in fact, the finger of God. Jesus has to be who he claims to be. And now, thank God, Jesus does this in verse number 21. He is going to give us an illustration of how the spiritual world works. Thank God he does this, because without this, guys, we wouldn't have the slightest clue as to how things work in the spiritual realm. So Jesus has to use things like parables so that we can picture in our mind what is actually going on behind the curtains of the natural. So in verse number 21 and 22, we have this illustration. And when a, it says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Let me just say a couple things before we get into the next verse. Number one... Please understand, Jesus is, is going to tell us about the part where he cast out a devil, where he overcomes that unclean spirit. We're going to talk about that, but that's not the only part of this conversation. Jesus is telling us within the spiritual battle, yes, there's a time when the unclean spirit needs to be overcome, needs to be bound, if you will, but that's not all that Jesus came to do. 
Listen carefully. Just because an unclean spirit goes out of you doesn't make you saved. Are you with me there? I said, are you with me there? If you have an unclean spirit cast out, all that means is now you have a good opportunity to listen clearly to what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you. You don't have that unclean spirit yapping in the other ear going, what about this, what about this, what about this? When Jesus binds that strong man, it's like he's putting tape, duct tape over that guy's mouth and says, shut up. I want to talk to this sinner for a while. You've had him for a long time. Now it's my turn to talk to him. The unclean spirit is cast out. That doesn't make you saved. You have been helped. Oh, that's a massive advantage, but now you can clearly sit. And in your right mind, listen to what Jesus has to say, and then you can make a choice to yield the throne of your heart to him. So understand, when we're reading this illustration, the whole thing is being explained, not just the casting out, but everything Jesus came to do. Now, also in verse 21, when a strong man, what is he? He's armed. How many of you have read this verse in Ephesians 6? Put on the whole armor of God. Is there such a thing as spiritual armor? Yes. And don't you think that the enemy doesn't have his? He's armed. He's armed. They say he's armed and dangerous. Right? FBI most wanted kind of stuff. Consider him, consider him armed and dangerous. <laughs> when a strong man, armed, keepeth his palace. What's the palace? You. you, you your body. Isn't your body a temple? Yep, it's a temple. It's the devil's palace. And, and within that palace, it says his goods are in peace. What are the goods? Your heart, mind, soul, spirit, everything within you. Those are his goods. As long as you're unsaved and unyielded to the Holy Spirit, those belong to him. The devil is having his way within. Say, so what is he trying to do? Oh boy, hold on to your chair. Don't get too comfortable. Stay awake for this part. I know the chairs are comfortable, but, 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 but stay with me. Stay with me. He wants to keep his goods in peace. You know what the devil's going to do? Listen to this part. He just wants you to be comfortable. God help me, why did I get comfortable chairs? <laughs> the devil will get you to a place where it feels just right, and then he, he will say, don't change anything. You're right where I want you to be. Don't change anything. Most people, they want to achieve their own goals and then just keep things right where they want them. Just keep it in peace. Verse 22, but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, there's the casting out, there's the binding part. Now that's part of what he wants to do. But then it goes on to say, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. As we've already noted, the devil has armor. He dresses you in lies. He offers you false security. He makes you think. He puts on a helmet, not the hope of salvation, but a different helmet, and makes you think that the point of life is achieving your personal goals, wishes, dreams, and your version of success. He will make you think that sin doesn't have consequences. 
And if they do, they won't be that bad. Eat the fruit, Eve. You won't die. What will happen, Eve? You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. You'll be in charge of your own life. You'll finally have everything you want. You'll have your version of peace. What did Jesus say? Peace I leave with you, my peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Jesus brings a different peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. The devil wants you to eat the fruit. To drink the Kool-Aid. The devil, instead of a sword, he has fiery darts. And he'll keep you angry at everybody trying to help you. And every time Jesus passes by, every time the Lord sends one of his servants to come and minister to you, to to try to offer you truth, they come gently and patiently and meekly and say, listen, this is what God wants for your life. He wants to be in control. Rather than understanding that those people are trying to help you, you get agitated and frustrated and angry and end up pulling the bow and shooting the fiery dart as if that person's the enemy. That's the devil's armor. But praise God, verse 22, it says, a stronger than he shall come. (laughs) I don't care how strong that unclean spirit is, Satan himself can be on the job. But once Jesus shows up, a stronger than he has come. And listen, Jesus, he's not there. He's not there to ravage the enemy and conquer the land as if he didn't have a right to it. God created you in his image. And then you chose at some point to sin. Jesus is on a rescue mission. This is a rescue mission. He's the good guy. He comes in and he comes upon him. He binds. He overcomes that unclean spirit. And then, as I've mentioned, he has a chance to tell you what the gospel is. Give you a chance to repent and believe it. But notice that's not all that Jesus came to do. He replaces the devil's armor. He takes from him all the armor wherein he trusted. What does he give you instead? In place of the lies, he gives you a whole bunch of truth. In place of anger, wrath, bitterness, holding on to grudges, petty differences, he gives you mercy and love and forgiveness and teaches you how to live in peace one with another. In the place of the fiery darts, Amen. He gives you a sharp two-edged sword, which is the sword of the Spirit. And instead of, instead of nasty things flying out of your mouth against people trying to help, now when people come around, you open your Bible and say, let's talk about it from the Word. In place of the vanity of your heart and mind, Jesus now comes in and says, let me tell you the true purpose of life. The reason you're here is not to get rich. It's not to get popular It's not to get the world's version of wisdom. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. He said the the greatest achievement you'll ever find in life is knowing God on a personal level. To let him sit upon the throne of your heart and let him be in control. You see that at the end of verse 22. He, it says, he divideth his spoils. Jesus comes in and then he takes control. He takes away that devilish armor, wraps you in the armor of God, 
And what is his complete mission? To take the spoils, the goods that were in peace, and now Jesus steps in and rearranges your life. Aren't you glad Jesus did that for you at one point? Thank God he rearranged my life. I'm so glad that when I came to Jesus at the age of 20, he didn't just pass by and say, well, Mike, I think you got it good enough. (laughs) Thank God. He said, let me get, you sit still here on the potter's wheel. Let me get my hands on you and let me reshape you into a vessel, meet for the master's use. Thank God he didn't leave me the way I was. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. And he divides my life the way he sees fit. That's what a conqueror does. When he overcomes, he conquers the enemy. He says, now the things that used to belong to that guy belong to me. So now I'm going to divide it up. Hand me your schedule. Let me put a little bit of it over here and you spend some time over there and then this person needs that attention and here's you spend time with the Word of God and spend time at church. And he starts dividing you rightly. He rightly divides you. What were the goods? Heart, mind, soul, strength. What was the command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. So Jesus comes in and says, I'll tell you exactly how much emphasis to put on each part of your life. I will reorganize you. Praise God that he does that. That's what Jesus came to do. I'm going to give you some words of Jesus that we don't often think come from Jesus' lips. Acts chapter 26, just listen to me give you the verse. The Apostle Paul is giving his testimony. And he says, this is what Jesus told me to do. He told me to go preach to the Gentiles to do this. These are the words of Jesus. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. Paul, you go tell people they need to get on the right side. That they're under the influence and power of darkness and Satan, but the kingdom of God is being offered, and if they want to switch sides, they can. But they need to know what's being offered. When you're going to switch from this side to that side, what you are saying is, Lord, here's my life. You divide it the way you see fit. You're in charge, not me. That's the smartest decision anybody could ever make. You see, this story is more than just casting out devils. This story is about establishing the kingdom of God in you. And that brings us to verse 23. In verse number 23, we read, He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth. In the immediate context, perhaps we can understand it like this. Jesus is proving to his enemies that he is not on the same side with Satan. He's not doing the devil's work. He that is not with me is against me. Saying, listen, what Satan is trying to establish, his kingdom, looks nothing like my kingdom. He that is not with me is against me. So Satan is against me. He is not with me. Satan is not gathering people to God. He is scattering them away from God. So the immediate context would tell us Satan is not on the same side with Jesus. However, this truth trickles down to all of us. Notice Jesus said it so perfectly. He used a pronoun. 
He, that could refer to Satan, but it could also refer to you. He that is not with me is against me. I I want you to consider this question today. There's only two sides. Now, whose side are you on? There's only two sides. When you walk out of the room today, you are either on the Lord's side or you are on the devil's side. Those are the only two sides. Now, I can see some of you are working hard to go, wait, 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 but there's got to be a third one there. There's two sides. Jesus said, you're either with me, and if you're not with me, you're against me. For some people, it's very clear which side you're on. We know. God knows. And as much as we can know, we look at it and say, yep, that person's on this side. And that could be good or bad, right? Sometimes we look at it and go, yep, I know which side he's on. (laughs) But some people will say, no, 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 preacher, listen, there's a third side. There's There's a middle ground. There's a neutral ground. Preacher, I'm not doing God's will. I'm not doing Satan's will. I'm doing my will. There's a word for this in Titus chapter 1. It's called being self-willed. You say, well, there you go. You've just proven it. There's a middle ground. Listen closely. Jesus said to Peter and to all the disciples, I'm going to go die. I'm going to be crucified. The Romans are going to, they're going to whip me. They're going to, they're going to, crucify me and then I'll be buried on the third day I'm going to rise again and Peter says not so Lord no no noit they'll never do that to you I'll protect you what was the answer of Jesus get thee behind me Satan but Peter is just trying to help do you think Peter was trying to do the devil's will he wasn't trying to was he doing God's will Jesus just told him what God's will was. The will of God was to go to the cross and die. Peter was doing what any man would do for a friend. Hey, no, no, no. We'll we'll put a stop to that. We'll protect you. And Jesus points out to him, Peter, listen, you're actually helping the devil here. Jesus went on to say, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Here, here's, here's how the devil is so subtle, he's so tricky. The devil on this other side says, oh, no, 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 listen, don't, don't do it God's way. Yea, hath God said that thou shalt not this and that. Even though you know clearly this is what he said, the devil comes in and says, ah, come on, listen, just do it your way. The whole time knowing that if you do it your way, you're not doing it God's way, that is exactly the way the devil wants you to do it. That neutral third party side where you think it's you do that's exactly the category the devil wants you in. You're fulfilling his will by doing it your way. Because the devil really doesn't care which sin sends you to hell. He doesn't care what you get focused on. He doesn't care what it is that distracts you. As long as you're distracted and as long as you're not with him, as long as you're not gathering with him, 
the devil's happy. If you've been born again and you haven't been performing your reasonable service, what is our reasonable service? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto, unto God, which is your reasonable service. If you haven't done that, if you haven't allowed Jesus to divide the spoils, then there are going to be doubts. Verse 20, there should be no doubt. But if you haven't yielded fully to him, there are going to be some doubts. We want to remove all doubts today. You know, sometimes if somebody is about to, at the beginning of some sporting event, rugby's going on now, so let me use that as an illustration. You know, the captain will get the team together. All right, guys, here's what we're going to do. This play, that play. We're going to, come on, let's say, who's with me? Right? Something to that effect. Who's with me? And the whole team, yeah! Everybody's all fired up, you know. You read about this in war, war stories often. It's a big battle. It's going to be a difficult fight. So the captain of that regiment will get the troops together. All right, guys, I know it's going to be tough. We could do it. Who's with me? You know, then they go out to fight. I, I learned this in Malawi. As I started to preach in Chichewa, especially the early days of not using an interpreter, I wasn't quite sure if I was saying it correctly. And many times I would say something and the people would look back at me like this. I thought, I don't know if that came across correctly. So I asked my guys, how, how can I ask if they are with me? Because that, that's what you ask if you want to know if somebody's following you, right? If, if I want to say, do you understand what I'm saying? I can ask, do you follow me? Right? That's what we say. Do you follow me? Or we could ask this question. Are you with me? I asked it earlier. Remember that? Are you with me? That, that means are you following along? Do you understand what I'm saying? Right? So as I'm preaching in Chichewa, I wanted to see, are you with me? To say that fully, are you with me? Muli pamodzi ndi ine. That's a lot of words to say, are you together with me? I said, is there anything faster? Tili lemodzi. Tili, we are lemodzi, one group. Tili lemodzi. That's the fast way of saying, are you with me? Are we together? So my preaching, after almost every sentence, instead of a full stop, I would end it with tili lemodzi. Tili lemodzi. I just wasn't sure. What, did that make sense? Did that make sense? And the people learned, after every point, they would have to say, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. We are still following, eh? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they got a bit tired of it, I'm sure. I want, listen, I didn't want there to be any doubts. I wanted to know, are you with me? That's the question today. Not from me. But imagine if Jesus were to enter the building and stand before you and say, verse 23, Think with me. If he were to stand here today and make this proclamation and say, ladies and gentlemen, there are two sides today. You are either with me or you're against me. Turn your, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 3, please. Mark chapter 3. We're going to end on a, an illustration here. Mark chapter 3 and verse number 14. Mark 3 verse 14. 
Jesus is choosing out 12 men. He has several disciples at this point, but he chooses out a special group of 12, and he is going to make them apostles. So a disciple is not an apostle. Those are two different categories. These 12 are going to be apostles. Verse 14, it says, He ordained 12 that they should be, please help me with the next two words. What should they be? With him. He that is not with me is against me. He said, gentlemen, I want you to be with me. What did this entail? To be with him. It meant just that. Guys, I want you right here with me. If I go, you go. If I sit, you sit. If I sleep, you sleep. I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen. We read in Matthew's gospel about everything he was commanding them to do. I want to walk you through it just quickly. I want you to take yourself and put yourself in the story, which is a great piece of advice for reading your Bible. When you read the Bible, put yourself in the story. How would you have heard it? How would you have reacted? I don't see anything in the story that says the 12 apostles uh, faltered at all in their faith when they, when they were called by Jesus to go out and they heard the demands from everything we can see, they were on board with it. They were with him. Now, if I'm in the crowd, if you're in the crowd, perhaps we hear it differently. Jesus gathers the 12 and he says, all right, guys, I've prayed about it all night and God put you 12 on my heart. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you that you're going to go out and bring forth fruit. Boy, if you're one of the 12, aren't you excited? Man, what an opportunity. All right, where do we start? He says, all right, now listen, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. I want you to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Are you with me? And and, and we're, okay, oh yeah, yeah, amen, amen. I'm with you, just the Jews, good. He says, all right. As you go, guys, you have special powers now. Same things you've been seeing me do, you can do. What? That's right. I want you to heal the sick and cleanse the leper and raise the dead and cast out devils. Are you with me? And the disciples, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, now, but listen, when you do it, don't charge anything for it. We're not selling tickets. We're not here to entertain. This isn't a show. We're out there to minister. So freely you've been given, freely receive, or freely receive, freely give it, no money. Oh, are you with me? And the disciples, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm there, I'm going, okay, no problem. Yeah, sure, that makes sense. Okay, now as you go out preaching two by two, I don't want you to take any money with you. None. Are you with me? And they're going, uh, uh, okay, sure, sure, okay, yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, we're, we're still with you. I don't want you to take a change of clothes, no extra possessions. You don't need to take an extra staff. People will take care of you. Are you with me? And the disciples, if I'm one of them, uh, uh, nothing? Just what I'm... Okay, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Here we go, good, good, I'm with you. All right, now, now guys, listen, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Are you with me? And this, this is where I'm going, uh, question. <laughs> Did you say sheep? Because sheep are defenseless. They are one of the dumbest animals God ever made, if not the dumbest. He said, I'm sending you as a sheep in the midst of wolves. Did you mean that? Yeah. Are you with me? 
Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm, ooh, I'm with you. But can, can you feel the tension starting to set in? You're like, ooh, wolves? Sheep? And then Jesus continues on and says, now guys, brace yourselves. Men are going to falsely accuse you. You're going to get arrested. They're going to bring you into the synagogues and whip you. There's a chance that some of you could die. Who's with me? And that's where the disciples... Hmm. Okay. Uh, Jesus, you're asking an awful lot now. I know. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. I promise you'll never regret it. Are you with me? Are you with me? The 12 were with him. But what if you're in the room? Jesus went on to tell him, gentlemen, a man's foes shall be they of his own house. There's a good chance that your brother, your mother, or even your father will sell you out. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you're going to be hated of all men for my sake. Everywhere you go, people are going to hate you. Are you with me? That's when it gets real. That's when it gets real. Jesus concluded this passage by saying, Fear not them which kill the body. Is this a way to get the troops stirred up to go out to battle or what? I mean, here's a pep talk and a half. Coach, we're ready for the fight. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Yea, rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. And then Jesus rings out with this cry again, are you with me? And as a disciple, the answer is, Jesus, we're with you. We're with you. He says, all right, if you're going to be my, my disciple and follow me, you're going to have to take up that cross and everything that comes with it. Are you with me? The call to be a proper disciple is not anything small. It's a call to be with him in every way. Let's bring it down to our current situation because obviously we're not one of the 12 apostles. However, much of what I've just said does fit us. Let's bring it down to us this morning as we finish. Jesus Christ died for your sins on that cross. He was buried on the third day, he rose again. Now he lives forever, seated at the right hand of God. And he's ready to save your soul if you'll come to him in faith and say, Lord, I want you to live in my heart. He'll save you freely today. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. I'm, I'm good with that. One day Jesus is coming again. He's, he's right now at his father's house preparing a mansion for you. And if he's gone away, he's going to come again and take you unto himself that where he is, there you may be also. Are you with me? You ready for that trip? Amen. Good for that. Jesus can wash away all your sins and unburden that heavy heart that you have. Cleanse you in his blood. Are you with me? Amen. Isn't that good? Jesus wants to make you a fisher of men and send you out into the world to gather lost souls unto him.
to seek and to save that which is lost. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. Now I want you to go out and try to tell your friends and family how they can be saved and how the kingdom of God can rule in their heart, how Jesus can overcome, conquer, and divide the spoils of their life as he sees fit. Are you ready to go out and tell the world what Jesus did for them? Because if you're with me, then you're gathering for the kingdom. Church, when we talk about what Jesus can do to save your soul and take you to heaven and wash your sins, well, we're with that. But this, as soon as Jesus comes in and says, all right, let me have control of every single part. I want you to yield it to me. I want to rule and reign from your heart. That's where we start to say, ooh. But if I do that, That means I'm not going to have as much time with friends and family, my finances. I won't have complete control. That means everything's going to change and shift. And yeah, the call of Jesus is come, gather with me. Come and gather with me. Jesus desires to sit fully established upon the throne of your heart. You have to let him. So this morning, whose side are you on? There's only two sides. I ask you to choose. Stop trying to toe the middle. No more compromise. Choose a side. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Jesus has given us sufficient evidence. There is no doubt that he came to establish within you the kingdom of God to give you everything you need to have a relationship with him. Friend, there's an altar down here. Consider this the line drawn in the sand. Maybe this morning you've had a chance now to hear clearly what Jesus is offering. He's offering to come in, take away the strongholds of the devil, Replace it with his armor and rearrange your life in a way that would please God. Now, if you're with him, why don't you come tell him that? Lord, I'm with you. You say, Brother Mike, I'm, I don't mind certain parts of Christianity. But there's some things I'm just not prepared to do. You need to choose with or against. Are you gathering or scattering? You can come up with any excuse you want for why you don't try to gather souls to Christ. Every excuse leads to one conclusion. You're scattering. Say, I don't know how. Learn. Never tried, but then try. All this comes down to one thing. Are you with him? He doesn't want just Sunday mornings from you. He wants Sunday nights. He wants Monday mornings. When you wake up on Tuesday morning, ask yourself, whose side am I on? 
You say, well, pastor, when I'm at work, you're, you should still be on God's side. You say, but I got plans and I, I got things to do and I got this job, I got this and that. Okay. Who's in control of it? Several are praying. You be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Take your time. tell you a great prayer you could pray right here Lord what wilt thou have me to do that's a man that is yielded to the Holy Spirit Lord the spoils of my life are yours what wilt thou have me to do what do you want to do with them what do you want to change about me Lord Who do you want me to talk to? Where do you want me to go? Perhaps today within your heart, you felt the struggle. Did you feel it, sinner? Did you feel it? There was something tearing in your heart, pulling you one way, and then you felt something else pulling you the other way. That's the spiritual battle for your soul. That's the devil with his armor trying to keep his palace in peace. The Holy Spirit came in and started to disturb that peace. And you're going to feel that battle until you choose a side. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning, making it clear to us, Lord. You've made it clear. You've made it an easy decision that there's one side or another. I know that choosing your side comes with several sacrifices, but all of them worth it. God, help us, not just them. Help me too, Lord. I want you to have complete control over every part of me. Thank you, Lord, that you are far above every principality and power. When the enemy comes attacking, you've given me all the armor and defense I need. Father, perhaps somebody here is not saved. Before they leave, might they choose sides. God, please help them. Help them. Lord, we love you. We want to serve you. We want to be on your side. Help us, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here. Hope you enjoyed the rest of the day. We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock. Come back for Bible.